welcome to the Elevate Live podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message. Hey, we're glad that you're here. I, I, get the, I get the privilege of kicking off our Notorious series. We're going to have a great time in this series. Woo-hoo! Um, I, I got on the, on the phone with Pastor Keith this morning, and it was, it was funny because it was Pastor Keith and Sheila, and on the phone with Scott Uncleback and Darlene Uncleback, and I, some of you may know those are Pastor Keith and Sheila's best friends, been here in the church since the beginning, and Garrett was in the car, and Pastor Keith goes, Clay, isn't it funny that everybody on this phone call, like, we've known you since, since Sherman, like, 30 years ago. And, and the funny thing to me is like, you guys knew me in Sherman 30 years ago and you want me to start off the notorious message. <laughs> this, is me, uh, this is me in high school, guys. Uh, who's that guy on the right? Let me, let me just, <clears throat> that's, that's, not, that's not a fluffy uh, pillow around my neck. That's actually my hair. And uh, I still love that Pearl Jam shirt. I thought it was the coolest shirt, and it just had a complete hole in it. I had to wear other shirts underneath it to make it work. Matt, my mom was going to throw that shirt away or give it to Goodwill, and he said, I want that. Anyways, we were just a bunch of notorious kids back then. Thank God that he is good to us all the time. Amen. We're going to kick off this notorious series, and this whole series is about how God uses messed up people to take his message to the world. And we're going to have a great series. And you know, our, our culture is kind of obsessed with notorious people right now. I, I don't know, how many of you guys watch Netflix at all on any level? I, I don't even have cable anymore. We just watch Netflix and Hulu. But like, it seems like every show is some kind of show about like notorious people, criminals, all kinds of just crazy things. It's funny because Whitney, uh, Whitney and I are polar opposites. I go to bed early. She, she goes to bed crazy late. She's a night owl. Uh, I, I wake up early. And, but one of Whitney's love languages is Netflix. I don't know if you, this, <laughs> this is a love language. Husbands, you'll learn this. It just, I don't, for Whitney, at least, if I just sit down and watch a show with her, she feels incredibly loved. And, you know, I love that about it. But I, I remember, like, it was, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, I, I go and I'm ready to for bed. She's like, baby, you want to stay up and watch a show with me? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, what are you watching? Oh, I found this great documentary. It's on Ted Bundy. And, and, <laughs> and he's, a, he's a serial killer, killed all these people. And I'm like, yeah, baby, that, that's, that's exactly what I'm going to do before I go to bed at night, you know? <laughs> Like the last thing that I want to do before laying my head on my sweet pillow and having dreams for the night is to really get inside the head of a serial killer. <laughs> it's like, no, but, but we're like obsessed with notorious people. But the truth is, is that I feel like God is obsessed with notorious people too. He's not obsessed to convict them or condemn them, but God is obsessed with notorious because he makes the notorious his friends. And he's been using notorious people since the beginning of time. And you know, and Adam, the first man on earth, Notoriously the first sinner on earth, so was Eve. She ate the apple first. Hello. Uh, I like it. Adam blamed it on Eve, but Eve blamed it on a snake, which is just like completely you know, illogical. So the, uh, Cain, who was the firstborn child of humanity, murdered his brother in a fit of jealous rage. Noah, the only righteous man on earth, was busted drunk and naked. Abraham, the father of our faith, let another man walk off with his wife twice. He actually told him it was his sister. Anyway. uh, Jacob, who is called Israel, was a pathological deceiver, and he literally got in a fist fight with an angel of the Lord. 
Like, I don't know if you know the story. Most people think like, okay, Jacob wrestled with the Lord. Nuh-uh, uh-uh. Jacob walked away from this fist fight with like an injury for life. Like, he is limping for the rest of his life. It wasn't what you think it is. It's like an angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob, and Jacob punched him in the face. It's like, that was like, that's what happened. That's, that's the father of our faith right there. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn son, slept with his father's concubine, who was his brother's mom. Uh, Moses was a murderer. Aaron, Aaron, who was Israel's first pastor, built the golden calf so Israel could worship pagan gods. Samson, notoriously the strongest man alive, was also a womanizer and committed suicide. Saul, Israel's first king, was a paranoid, manic, depressive who even practiced witchcraft. King David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery and killed her husband. Solomon, King David's son, had over a thousand sexual partners. Again, no comment there. And then Jesus' own sweet, great, great grandmother was a prostitute. Church, today I hope that you're encouraged as you came to God's house today. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, Jesus can use you. <laughs> Thank God. I'm so thankful today. Now, today we're going to dive into the word that we're going to talk about some disciples of Jesus. We're going to talk about Matthew today. If you have your Bibles with me, you can open it up. If you don't, you can look at the Bible in the sky. But we're going to talk about the book of Matthew. And, and remember, this is, this is the book of Matthew. So this is Matthew telling his own story. Matthew talking about his own story. In verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Following, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Can you say that with me? Disreputable sinners. Notorious sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The title of today's message is, Do You Know? Can we pray real quick? Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you're going to speak to us. And God, I think that when I read your Bible, I don't see a God who's mad at me, but God, I see a God who loves me with an immense love, a crazy love. And God, I pray that today as your church that we would feel and we would know how much you love us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I brought my full focus daily planner with me today, guys. Is anybody else obsessed with like their time and planning out their week? Do we have any people who are with me on this? Mostly women, I'm like, <laughs> man, like, what do you need a planner for? <laughs> I just work. <laughs> you know, this, this is like, I, I, like I, I, every year I start off my year, I like, I set my goals, I like disappear. I'm like, baby, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to plan. I mean, Whitney did it with me this year. She's like, okay, we're going to plan our goals. And then every quarter I break my yearly goals into like quarterly goals. And then even quarterly goals, I break it into every week. I have the top three things I want to achieve that week. I'm like so OCD about this stuff. This is like, I live by that. And th those of you who like know me and like maybe work with me, you know that I take this thing everywhere. It's like, a, and then every day I have my top three priorities. Uh, when I'm reading the Bible and I read what Jesus was doing with his life, you know what I'm thinking? J-Man, you need the daily planner, bro. <laughs> like, 
Think about it. If you had three to five years to save humanity, what would be your plan? I would live by this. I, if I were Jesus, like if I had three to five years to save all of mankind, like what would you do with your time? Like I would have been sitting down at 30 years old and going, oh God, you want me to save the world? Okay, let's get this plan together. I mean, I'm half man, half God, so I can do a lot of things. I know I can heal people and stuff, but I can also like read people's minds. So I've got some powers here. Here's my strength. I'm going to do a SWOT analysis. Strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. I'm going <laughs> to like, do this. And then it's going to be like, okay, I, 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 I'm going to become the, the ruler of Rome. I can figure that one out. I'm going to become like the Caesar. Uh, I can probably invent television. I know that's coming in like 2,000 years, but I could probably invent it now so that everybody can know some broadcasting system. If I got to die for the world, I'm not just going to do it out on some hill. I'm going to do it. Get the cameras. Everybody come in. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be like, you know, like Instagramming, live Instagramming. I'm going to the cross for humanity. Everybody believe. You know, I'd have this like whole strategy on how like everybody in the world could, could find out exactly what I'm doing. And then uh, guys, stay put for three days. I'm going to be back alive. Cameras in that location, please set it up. Make sure the lighting is good. Angel of the Lord, backlighting is going to be strong. Okay, I'm going to rise from the dead. That, that would be my thought. But Jesus, every time I read the Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. He's only got so much time. But you know what? God is the author of time. He's more strategic than I could ever be in my entire life. He knows the beginning and the end. And God saw that his most important thing to do when God came to earth, think about this. God came to earth and he only had so much time. How important it was to him to go and just be with what people called the scum of the earth and just be with them. He just valued that time with them. And that's God revealing his heart to, to us that this is the most, the best, highest use of Jesus's time was to show us, his people, how much he loved hurt and broken people and how much he loved the people that were considered scum of the earth, tax collectors. You don't know about tax collectors? I mean, I know that we know that they're like, that they were hated back in the day, but like, think about it. When Rome took over Judea, that they, like, they ransacked the place. They took over. They murdered you know, thousands of people, really. And there, there's rumors of like thousands of people being even crucified because that was a tactic back then. And then they set this ruler over Judea. And that ruler was given the authority to execute people. But then also, do you remember Herod, like when Jesus was a baby? Herod made a rule that every two-year-old, every firstborn male two-year-old would be murdered, kill them. And the government, can you imagine if the government took over America and one of their first roles was to go find every firstborn male two years, two years of age and under and to kill that child? Can you imagine what you would feel like if, if you had a child and these guards burst in your home and just yanked your child out of your hands? I have, I have a two-year-old right now. I mean, I, would, uh, I, don't even, I can't even imagine what it would stir in me. But then can you imagine that your neighbor your neighbor that's your countryman should be an ally that your neighbor just goes and works for those people. And not only that, but collects taxes from you. What kind of, like you would be, you would hate that person. You'd feel an immense amount of hate. So Matthew's telling his story. He's saying Jesus called this, this tax collector. And check it out. Jesus wasn't in some faraway land. What I love about this scripture, Jesus wasn't in some faraway land. It says that Jesus was in his hometown. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but Matthew wasn't just any tax collector. Matthew was probably Jesus's tax collector. Look, props to you, Jesus, though. If I'm going to save anybody, save the guy getting your taxes, you know, like. <laughs> but at the same time, 
He's, he's familiar. One, the biggest lesson that Matthew learned from that is Jesus didn't allow his familiarity with someone cause him to stop believing in the goodness of God and what he could do in that person's life. And one of the ways that we'll become the most powerful church and, and we'll just become the most powerful people in the world and really who God wants us to be is when we don't allow our familiarity with people to cause us to stop believing in the goodness of God for their lives. And you know, it's great. And so Matthew... Matthew's response is like the, the perfect response for what, it's a great, it's like textbook of the way a healthy person should, should walk away from an encounter with Jesus. Number one, it says that Matthew invites Jesus into his home, right? He invites him into his home. The, the most intimate parts of his life. Uh, have you ever gone to someone's house that you don't know very well or that you're kind of getting to know? Have they ever invited you into like their bedroom or other parts of their house? Does anybody know this feeling that you feel? Like, well, when I started dating Whitney, I remember I'd come over, and I, I know the crafts my whole life, really, but then I came over and it's like, hey, baby, my, my dad wanted to talk to you. He's back in the bathroom. He's <laughs> back in the bathroom. Uh, I just know the kitchen area, okay, back in the bathroom. It's past the bedroom, and so I like walk in the bedroom. I don't know if you know this feeling, but I'm like stepping the threshold into a bedroom. This is pastor's bedroom. Things happen in bedrooms. <laughs> There's the bed, oh my gosh, I don't know, it's like a, <laughs> you know, like, you walk into the, the bathroom, the bathroom, people bathe in the bathroom, I mean, where's, past, where's Pastor Sheila? You know, it's like, <laughs> she's not in the house, is she? You know, like, these are the most intimate parts of, like, anybody's world is inside their home. But Matthew, the first thing he does, he's not transformed, he didn't, he's, he didn't have that transformation, renewal of the mind, he just met Jesus, the first thing he does is just invites him into his innermost place, into his home. Second thing is he invites all of his friends to meet Jesus. It's great. It's one of the healthiest things that we can do. When we really meet Jesus, trust me, when you meet Jesus, you're going to be compelled like crazy to introduce your friends to Jesus. And if you, if you don't feel compelled to show your friends to Jesus, I'm not sure you've met Jesus yet. And that's the truth. If you don't feel like your friends should know Jesus, you need to rethink how well you know Jesus because Jesus is the type of guy that everybody would invite all their friends to come and meet that guy. And the, and, and the third thing, <laughs> and the third thing is this, is, is he feeds him a meal. And uh, how do I feed Jesus in my life? Well, you know, cook him up a steak, I don't know, what, what do you do? You know, the Bible says in Galatians, it says, he who sows to the flesh of the flesh reaps corruption, but he who sows to the spirit of the spirit reaps everlasting life. And Pastor Key says it this way, give God something to work with. This is what you feed Jesus. Here's another question. Are you starving Jesus in your life? Like when you walk away from church, are you starving? Jesus is wanting to do a work in you, but you can either feed Jesus or in your life or you can starve Jesus in your life. When you have an encounter with Jesus, number one is invite him into every part of your life, every room in your life, every, every broken part of your life. Introduce him to your friends. And if you don't know the Jesus that you can introduce to your friends, you need to meet Jesus today. Jesus is the guy that you want to introduce to everybody you've ever known. And lastly is feed Jesus. Give him something to work with. Sow into your spirit today. You know, you've got a chance every day to sow spirit into yourself, into your family. Feed the Jesus in your life. And you know what? That's the response of Matthew, but the Pharisees' response is like a completely different response. And their response is one, and Pharisees always remind me of the redneck jokes. You know, you know these redneck jokes? It's like, um, you know, if you have to tell your spouse, honey, can you move this transmission so I can take a bath, you might be a redneck. <laughs> You know, 
if, well, I was listening to him this late there. Most of them are like completely inappropriate, but like, if you take a six pack of beer to a funeral, <laughs> there might be your in it. You might be a Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee. If the Pharisees are just t- t- talking to the disciples. Hey, hey, why is Jesus hanging out with such scum? You know, if you're talking to everybody else about your issues except for the person that you have issues with, <laughs> you might be a Pharisee. You know, we all, <laughs> let me, we, all have, we all have two voices in our life. And this is true. This is, this is something for every person, no matter how long you've walked with God. You've got two voices in your life. You've got the voice of a disciple, and you've got the voice of a Pharisee. You've got the voice of a disciple who is a follower of Christ, knows what they've done, knows what God saved them from, and is completely grateful for it. But then you've got the voice of a Pharisee who is still trying to achieve some level of righteousness. And this is a good picture, who's still trying to follow all the rules and gets offended when someone else isn't following the rules. And you know what I love about Jesus, what this thing with the Pharisees tells me? Is that Jesus was the type of person that everybody thought that Jesus was one of them. You know, you don't get offended at something or you don't get offended at somebody that you don't have expectations of. And the, these Pharisees are the expectations of Jesus. I don't know about you, but like my whole life, I've pictured Jesus as like with the sinners. You know, we have our, our Easter play, you know, and we, we wrote that play. I mean, I'm the one who puts, me and Whitney, we put together like the staging. And like, I've always thought Jesus with his disciples over here, boo Pharisees. You know, Pharisees are all over there. This is actually where we stand on stage during the Easter production. It's like, Pharisees are over there. You're losers, Pharisees, boo. And like, I'm with my disciples and I'm with all the sinners and you're all the, all the Pharisees. But you know what I realized in the word of God is that's not the case at all. You know, when Jesus got lost as a child, do you remember where he was? He was, he was in the house of God. And you know, his parents came and found him. They said, Jesus, we lost you. Where were you? And you know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, I found these complete scumbags. And I, I just, I feel really called that everything they're teaching is wrong. And I'm going, I feel called to be against these people in life. You know, that, that wasn't Jesus's response. Jesus said, wouldn't you know I'll be about my father's business? But did, did you realize this? That Jesus loved the sinner, but he also loved the Pharisee. The Pharisees thought he was one of them. That's why they got upset at Jesus. It's because he was a rabbi. They were, he, he, he grew up in the temple. They knew he knew the law. So they're going, they're, it's confusing them. Like, why would Jesus, Jesus, you know the law better than any of us. Why would you be hanging out with such scum? It, listen, a healthy Christian, this is, what, this is great. This is the way I see Matthew too. Matthew let these Pharisees in his party. A healthy Christian, a non-religious Christian, um, they can be around people that don't agree with them. If you find yourself in a place, if you find yourself unable to be around people that don't think like you, you might be a Pharisee because of your own personal spiritual issues or because your belief about law or what you judge those people thinking about what they do or don't do. If you're unable to be around other people who don't live the life that you live, if you're unable to do that, I think you need to check your heart too. Because Jesus was the type of person that the most sinful person in the room thought that Jesus was one of them. Invited him into that corner of his life. But he was also the same person that the most super spiritual person in the room thought that he was one of them. Like this tells me something amazing about Jesus. That Jesus didn't like just take sides and he wasn't sinning like the sinner and he wasn't being super spiritual like super spiritual. He could just relate with people. Why? He just loved 
people. It's so revelational. Jesus just loved people. You know, the Pharisees, they come and say, why are you eating with such scum? And there's three answers that Jesus says, and I love these three answers. The first one Jesus says is he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick sick people do. Not six people, more than that. (laughs) Sick people do. And what that tells us today is that Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our healer. I don't know what you're going through today, whether it's physical healing, healing, emotional healing, what kind of health you need. Uh, Jesus is your healer. And you know, check this out. There's, there's a difference between what someone can do and what someone came to do. You know, I've Josh right here on the front row. Josh has been my armor bearer today. It's been awesome. I don't even know what to do with an armor bearer. I don't even, I, it's, like, it's like I want to help you today. Sweet. Can we just hang out? I don't know. So but Josh has been over at my house a lot. Him and his wife, Brittany, um, and Brittany Unkebeck, I've known, I've literally have pictures of me carrying Brittany when she's a baby. And so then their new little baby, Talia, they've come over to my house before. We play Canasta. Does anybody play Canasta? I love Canasta. It's a card game. Brittany just slays at Canasta. I can't beat her. It's crazy. Anyway. If we're, if we're like playing canasta over my house and I say, hey, hey, Josh, you can, you can fix a drain, right? And like you can clean, right? Probably, yeah, 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 you can. Hey, here's what I need from you right now. I know we're hanging out playing canasta and your family's here and everything, but like I've got this nasty moldy drain over here. Could you come over here and could, I just need you to fix that for me. And can you clean that up and, and fix that mess for me? I'm embarrassed when people see it. It's disgusting, but you know, Fix that for me. Great, thanks. Like, no person in their right mind does that to a guest of their house, right? <laughs> please say right. <laughs> Gosh. Yes, please say right. Yeah, you don't do that. But I had a cleaner come to my house the other day, and what's the first thing I do with the cleaner? He comes to the door, knock, 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 I'm here, I'm your cleaner. Thank God. I'm so glad you're here. Come here. Oh my goodness. I take him into the deepest part of my house. Don't mind all this mess. This is disgusting. Look, uh, don't mind all this. I need, I've got this horribly clogged drain. There's hair, there's mold, it's nasty. I need you to fix it, clean it, take You know, I need you, you, you're not afraid to ask the person who came for the purpose to clean. You're not afraid to ask him to clean up the mess. There's a difference between what you can do and what you came to do. Guys, Jesus said, I'm not here just a person who can heal. I came for the purpose of healing you. I came for the purpose of cleaning up your mess. Listen, Jesus is not afraid of your mess. He's freaking knocking on them. Sorry for saying free. He's knocking on the door. <laughs> he says, I knock on the door. He's just not knocking on the door. He's got his tool belt on. He's got cleaning supplies. He's ready to heal you, to restore you. He's not just able to do it. He is there to do it. You know, he keeps saying in the Bible, he says, ask, ask me. Just come on, ask me. I'm here for this purpose. And I hope that you're encouraged today, church. Jesus does, he, he's not, he's not going to make you feel ashamed of your mess. He's there to help clean it. Show him every part of your life. He can clean. And the second thing this disciples say, the second thing that the, Jesus says to the Pharisees is he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I love this part because um, this part to me is like song lyrics. Uh, because I don't know if you know, but Jesus isn't just saying, like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And let's just talk about that statement. That statement's cool. It means a lot. You know, I'd not just sacrifice. 
I don't just need you to come into church and like do the religious things and get dressed up and sing songs to me. Because if you do all that and then you leave here and then you're like mean to people and you treat people poorly, you're missing the point of this whole thing. You know, this is kind of what he's saying. But, it, but also what Jesus is saying beyond that, it's so much deeper than that. Jesus is quoting a scripture from Hosea. And it's, so it's, it's very much deeper to the Pharisees than just him saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's kind of like if I said to you today, uh, all you need is, uh, oh, that's good. All you need is, oh, it's glorious. I love the Beatles. I was telling someone, oh, my, dad, my dad's here today. I was telling someone in the audience, my first memory of music as a kid is putting my dad's vinyl on the record player. And it was a, the Beatles album. That and Sandy Patty. You know, my mama <laughs> Sandy Patty worship music playing. Um, he was quoting scripture. And if I, told, if I asked you right now, like, what's the meaning of that song? The, all you need is love. I'm sure you could go, oh, it's like this. Do, we have, do I have any Hamilton fans? I was going to use this as an example. Do I have any Hamilton fans in the house? Oh, some? I got some in here? Hey, yo, I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my... Shut oh! <laughs> I love it. And if I quote that, and you know the rest of that lyric, then you're like thinking, oh, Alexander Hamilton, he was born in the British Isles, came up young and scrappy. He came up, he was, had nothing. He was an orphan. His parents died. He worked from nothing, became the second hand to George Washington, became the first secretary of treasury. He developed the financial system that we operate today, hundreds of years later. What a genius Hamilton was. Like, there's this whole story behind it. But when Jesus, I'm going off the rail here. But when Jesus, <laughs> but when Jesus quoted Hosea, what the Pharisees felt is like me quoting Hamilton. When I quote Hamilton, you, you're thinking of the whole life of this Hamilton person. I, I know that story, and like it inspires me. But when, when Jesus quoted Hosea, these Pharisees knew Hosea. Do y'all know the story of Hosea? It's crazy. Hosea, he's like this young guy. He's like crew, crew, come here. I just want you to stand right here. He's like crew. Oh, handsome, young strapping lad. Young man of God, pumped up, so excited to do the things of God, aren't you? He's a great man. Serves in our students. Thanks, Jen. You, yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. Right, you're amazing. I love you. I just, I want you to see. Hosea's, Hosea's like crew. This young guy, up and coming. God calls him and says, Hosea, you're going to be a prophet to my people, Israel. Oh, my. Oh, God, thank you so much. I'm going to be, you're going to, I'm going to be like Elisha or Elijah. Oh man, I'm gonna see God do miracles. Like, can you think about the, call, the way he felt, the way Hosea felt getting called by God to be a prophet to his people? And then God says, hey, you see that beautiful girl over there? This is your first step as a prophet. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. You're, you're gonna marry that girl. Oh, I love you, Lord. <laughs> Elisha and Elijah, they were like single, weren't they? They didn't even get to have a wife. He's like going, God, I love you. You're amazing. I love being a prophet. Thank you, Lord, for calling me. That beautiful, yeah, yeah. And this, guess what? You're going to have a child with her. Oh, a boy. Your first one's going to be a boy. Oh, it's going to be a boy. Oh, gosh. I'm gonna, God, this is, I love being a prophet. And he's going to say, oh, here's the thing. I, your, your first child is going to be born. His name is going to be Jezreel. And that's, Jose is like, Jezreel, okay, I had some other names chosen, but Jezreel. It's like, God, isn't that that place where like an old king did something and murdered a lot of people? And he's like, oh yeah, you, you remember. Yeah, let me tell you. 
Uh, you're, I'm gonna, you're gonna name him Jezreel because you know what? It's, it's, it's me telling you that I'm gonna have revenge on my people and that they're gonna pay for everything that they've done to me. Okay. Okay, Hosea is like, it, this is real now, right? right. And he says, and, and Hosea, that, that beautiful girl, you're gonna have a second child. And that second child, I gotta see the name, Lorahama. That's your second child's name. You know what Lorahama means? It means not loved. Yeah, your baby girl, your second one's a girl. She's going to be born, no, not Leila Shea, not Livy Ray, not some cute little name. No, you're going to name her Not Loved. And when she's born, you're going to tell all of your friends, this is my daughter, Not Loved. Because you know what, Hosea? I can't just call you to be a prophet and for you to say words to people. I don't want you to just say something to people. I want you to feel the way that I felt when my people turned against me, hurt me, betrayed me. And listen to this, the, the story's not over, thank God. Then he has a, he has a third child. You're gonna have a third child, a young strapping boy now. Oh God, I don't even wanna, I don't wanna know what his name is. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what I would be thinking. He says, yeah, it's gonna be named Lo-Ami. You know what that means? That means you are not my people anymore. You're not welcome anymore. You don't belong to me. So Jose, here's what I want you to do. You're gonna feel the way I felt. Oh, and that beautiful wife you have. Yeah, let me tell you something about that beautiful wife. This whole time you've been married to her, she's been cheating on you. She's been unfaithful to you. She's completely, can you imagine Hosea, this young guy who had hopes and dreams, just crushed. That woman that you fell so dearly in love with, she's been cheating on you this whole time. She actually has children with other people and you don't even know it. And you know, right now, you know, you've been on this little prophetic journey and everything, but she's back at home. She's not home. She's actually left you. And she's actually not just left you, she's in a prostitute house. She's in a brothel. She's living there. She's got your kids there. She doesn't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Just break it. God wanted Hosea to feel what God felt. Because Hosea couldn't do the next thing that God wanted him to do and actually let there be transformation in him if he didn't feel what God felt. I want you to feel how betrayed I've been. Like, I want you to feel how bad God hurts. But he says, you know what you're going to do, Hosea? You're going to do what you're going to do for Gomer, your wife. You're going to do for her what I'm going to do for my people. Now that you feel the way that I felt, because now as a human, as you feel that hurt the way that I feel that hurt, I'm now going to show you how I treat people like that. And you know what he does? He says, Hosea, get up. Go get a bag of money. You know what you're going to do? You're going to walk down to the darkest street that you've never even been to before. And you're going to find this brothel, and it is disgusting. It is, you, want, you can't even imagine how disgusting this place is. You're going to walk into that place. Guess what? Your wife is there, and she's sleeping with other men there, and your kids are there in that atmosphere. I mean, guys, can you feel what, what Hosea felt getting this mess? He says, you're going to go into that place, and you know what? You're going to go to her pimp, and you're going to pay all of her debt. I want you to pay it all. Even though she's done so many things to hurt you, and even though those kids who are, you're going to pay, you are not loved, and you do not belong, you're going to take that wife, and you take those kids, and you're going to bring them back home. And you know what? You're going to recommit your vows to them. You're going to love them like never before. You're going to make those kids know that they have a father, and you're going to be a father to these precious children, and you're going to be a lover to this beautiful wife. And you know what's revelational about the story is that Gomer's name, Gomer, she represents sin. And these three kids, they represent what sin births in our life. 
What sin births in our life is a feeling of, I'm going to pay, a feeling of, I am not loved, and a feeling like, I don't belong. You know, it breaks my heart is people come into this church. People come into the church every week. And you know what they have in their feeling? They, they, they feel that God's going to do to them is they feel that way. Man, I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay. I, there's some level where I'm going to pay for what I've done. You know, Jesus hit this uh, at one point. I'm sorry to sidetrack, but he had someone said, hey, why is that guy sick? Is it, because, is it because of something his father did or his family did? And he said, no, you guys are all like so judgmental about everything. And he's like, no, he's sick because I'm going to heal him. But we're always trying to figure it out. Like, you're not going to have to pay for what you've done. God has come to heal you. You are, and it's not, no longer not loved. God loves you with all of his heart. And you know what? You belong. When you come into the church today, you don't need to feel like you're going to pay. You don't need to feel like you're not loved or that you don't belong. You belong today. You're loved today. And this is what Jesus was telling. This, this is the story that those Pharisees were downloading. When Je Remember, Jesus didn't just say, quote the scripture. Jesus says, you need to go and learn the meaning of this scripture, which what he said is like, you need to go read that whole story again because you're going to have a revelation for how much I love, how much I love the people who, yes, they've betrayed me, but you know what? They can't pay for their sin. You know, a religious person would say like, okay, well, God demands righteousness. Yeah, God demands righteousness. And we can't achieve that. That's why Jesus came. We just look to Jesus. But God so loves us that he gave every, uh, he paid every debt for us. Are you grateful for that today? The last thing, the last thing that, Je the last thing that Jesus says is this. He says, uh, I came not for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know they're sinners. I came not for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know they're sinners. You know what, I love the disciples. I feel like the disciples are people who came to terms with their sinful nature. You know what I think it's really important? I, really imp I think it's really important that we come to terms with our sinful nature. You know, I actually like looking at these old pictures of myself because I know what I did back then. I know the stuff my parents don't even know about. God bless your parents, I'm here today. <laughs> like, I know the stuff that, I, I know who I was. God knew who I was, but I like looking back. Where's that picture? Let's look at this guy. Like, I like looking back at this picture because you know what I think? I think, God, you've brought me so far. It's a reminder. It's a reminder to me. If I can remember what God's done in my life, you know what it does? Let's, let's talk about this. A person who knows that they are sinners, they give mercy to others. People who know that they're sinners, they give mercy to others. I find it a lot easier to give mercy to others. I mean, I hear about half the things that happen in youth and what students do today, and I'm like, well, thank, it's like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Please don't do it anymore, but. <laughs> people who know they are sinners are afraid of others. People who know they are sinners are not afraid of other people's messes because they know their own mess and they, own, they know their own need for a savior. People who know that they are sinners can forgive themselves because they know Jesus is their only hope. You can forgive yourself. If you trust, like you might think today, like I don't want to think about my sin. Well. Think about it and then think about God. Know, know who you are, but more importantly, know who God is, that God turns all that around. You know, I'm out of time, but there's two different types of people and they're represented by disciples. There's Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus and he was so self-righteous. He was so all about being righteous that he couldn't, he couldn't forgive himself for what he'd done. Even though he'd hung out with Jesus like every day, he couldn't forgive himself. You know what he did? He goes and kills himself, takes his own life. But Peter, Peter betrayed Jesus too, right? 
Peter denied him three times. Peter, even worse than, honestly, on a level, Judas at least betrayed Jesus like in another room, in, you know, another place. Peter was sitting there in a place where Jesus was in the next room getting whipped, abused, spat on, having his clothes ripped off him, his best friend, someone who he swore his life to, and his best friend is over there getting just embarrassed, ashamed, and he knows he's about to go die. And what happens? Peter denies even knowing him. Someone says, I recognize you. You're one of those fishermen, aren't you? You're with Jesus. And you know what he does? He doesn't just say no. He starts cursing these people out. He starts cursing them out and saying, I have nothing to do with this person. I have no idea who he was. The shame that Peter felt, good night, man. You betrayed Jesus. You betrayed the Savior of the world. But you know what? Peter knew Jesus. He knew him. He knew his heart. And he knew that, that after the resurrection, there's a story of Peter seeing Jesus on the shore. It says that when Peter saw Jesus after the resurrection, he was on the shore. It says that Peter immediately jumped in the water, couldn't even wait for the boat to turn around, swam over to him. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't say, Peter, why did you deny me? Peter, I was being beaten to death. Why, did you, why, didn't, you, why didn't you help me out? All, all he did was like, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. He says, do you, and he says, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. All, all Jesus did was just saying, listen, I know you love me, Peter. And you know what? I'm going to restore everything. Not only that, he made Peter the head of the church. Can you imagine? You're the head of the Christian church, and you knew what you did to Jesus. But you know what? He was a great head of the church because he knew what he did to Jesus. Like, for you today, we will, be the we will be a powerful church if we can come to terms with what we were and thank God for where we're going, what God's doing in our lives. People who know that there are sinners create atmospheres where everyone can feel like they belong. And, is, and if, you, if, you, if you know that, you can create an atmosphere where everybody feels like they belong. People who know that they are sinners pour out their hearts of gratitude to God. And people who know that they are sinners know how great God's love is. I don't know about you today, but I know what God's done in my own life, and I'm incredibly grateful. Are you today? Do you know? Do you know not just what you are today, but do you know, more importantly, how much God loves you today? Can we pray today to this church? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your people today. And God, I pray that you would seal this word in our heart and let us see, just even like the story of Hosea, that no matter what we've done, God, that no matter what kind of shame or life we've gotten into, God, that you are a restorer of your people. And God, that you pay the price for us and it's not on our own good doing, but God, it's because of how good you are. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way, you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.